All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Nick's Infinite Playlist podcast. Now that we are not releasing episodes recorded a long time ago, our mission is updated and simplified. I believe that there's much to be learned and gained from revisiting old beloved stories and similarly from discovering new ones. Film and television are powerful teaching tools. So hopefully you'll find this discussion enlightening. I am altering the deal. So pray that I don't alter it further. Uh, with me today are two very special guests that have been in my life for some time. Uh, some great college friends of mine, uh, Carter Hanna and her husband, Dr. Benjamin Hanna. Introduce yourselves, guys. Hi, I'm Carter Hanna. Hello there. I'm, I'm back. <laughs> Carter made me promise to do to say hello there. So. <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks for joining me today, guys. Um, today, our topic is we're going back into the verse. Uh, so into the Star Wars verse, first and foremost. And I don't know exactly what I've done to myself because <laughs> there's a lot of Star Wars and there's more all the time. But it's easy to know where to start. So we started with A New Hope that was released a few weeks ago. Now we're moving on to The Empire Strikes Back, written in 19, uh, premiering, excuse me, in 1980, written by Lawrence Kasdan, Lee Brackett, and George Lucas, directed by Irvin Kirshner, starring, as you probably know, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Billy D. Williams, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, Alec Guinness, Frank Oz, Kenny Baker, the list goes on and on. But... So what I like to start with is just talking about what it is that we know or like about these properties. And so the first question I have for you guys is, what's your relationship to Star Wars and particularly to Empire Strikes Back? Um, well, my first introduction to Star Wars was actually Empire Strikes Back. I was a kid going down the street to visit my friend Alex Shout out to Alex. Um, and I walked in and he and his family were watching Empire Strikes Back. And it was the scene where Yoda and Luke were meeting for the first time. And I was very interested. And I asked him, what movie is this? And he said, have you never seen Star Wars? And so obviously I had to go to my parents that night and we went to the Blockbuster because it was the 90s. And we rented A New Hope and I was hooked. Um, but I was also very disappointed that the little green guy was not in A New Hope. So then I realized it was a trilogy. Um, and then I went to the theaters to see uh, Phantom Menace with my grandfather. Uh, and I've been a Star Wars fan ever since. What about you? Yeah, I um, I don't remember the first time I watched a Star Wars movie. Um I, we definitely had the original trilogy on VHS at home. So I know that I had seen them before the Phantom Menace came out. Um, but like I said, I don't remember like the moment I saw the first one, but once Phantom Menace came out, I mean, I was, we were talking about it last night. Like we were both about Anakin's age when it came out. Um, and so it was just really cool to see a movie about a kid my age. Um and also like Darth Maul lighting up his double-bladed lightsaber and it just like blew my little child mind <laughs> um, and all the cool ships and, you know, it was just a, a new era of Star Wars. Um, so after that, I was uh, hooked and have seen every movie in theaters ever since. Awesome. Uh, I have a similar story. Um, 
I told this before on the previous episode that I talked about, but uh, I'll recount it again just for context. Um, in the 90s, the uh, A New Hope was re-released in theaters. And so that's one of the first movies I saw in a theater with my dad. Um, I, I, I remember seeing Toy Story, Lion King, and Star Wars. Um, those were like my first big three movies in the theater. So I was, I was absolutely enthralled with what I saw in the theater. And so pretty quickly after that, I'm pretty sure we rented them. Uh, but I did rent the other two movies after that. So I had seen them all multiple times by the time episode one came out. But episode one triggered something special for me too. Um, I was absolutely, I was thrilled to see somebody close to my age in a, in a lead role. I thought Jar Jar Binks was hilarious at that time in my life. Uh, the double bladed lightsaber was awesome. I collected all the like Pepsi cans. They had Pepsi cans with different <laughs> Star Wars characters and I collected all of them. I had a huge uh, collection of Pepsi Mountain Dew. I drank more diet Pepsi than I ever have in my life since because there were characters that were only on diet Pepsi. So uh, I was obsessed as a kid and I still have like, like I have a C-3PO bust right here and an R2-D2 toy right here. Um, So I'm in my thirties and I still have Star Wars toys everywhere. So oh, yeah. I've got a bunch of Lego Star Wars things still around too. And I also brought uh, a visual prop to an audio medium, but <laughs> I have this book, uh, Star Wars. I have episode one and two, the incredible cross sections. And it's just like these, um, I don't know how well you can see it, but I mean, I'll describe it, but it's just this like oversized book of all the ships and there's like exploded views and there's panels removed and they're all labeled. And yes, it's like that was part of, uh, you know, inspiring me as a kid to like, it just made the whole universe feel so much more like concrete and fleshed out and everything to be like, oh, they have like, someone has thought about how you would actually build this ship. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Well, and that's one of your favorite ships still to this day. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Um, Yeah. I I found my parents like brought my old toys to our house recently and I was digging through it and I had like tons of star Wars episode one toys. Um, Some other ones from like my dad's childhood. I had, there was like a Luke and a Lando from when my dad was a kid. Um, But there were also like the little communicator things that the comm links that they used. Um, And that's where I found it. It was a a shaving razor was their comm link. Yeah. (laughs) um and i have my old lightsabers down my kids started playing with them so they're they're not down here anymore um but i you know still have all of the star wars toys that i bought there's somebody on my in columbus where i live that's uh selling on facebook marketplace right now i'm this close to messaging them to buy it because it's like a big poster that is star wars episode one and it has the characters on there and it says buy on vhs today and i'm that's <laughs> like this came direct, directly out of a blockbuster you know it did um and i was like i want this so bad but i don't have anywhere to put it um <laughs> so i'm i'm battling that temptation as we speak <laughs> all right um so empire strikes back number two in the series came out in 1980 so first question does it hold up today 
Um, I can go first on this one. I I think it absolutely does um, for a lot of reasons, but like um, I kind of we we just rewatched it a few weeks ago, actually right before I think Carter saw your like post asking for for people to chat with you about it. Um, we just happened to watch it, and um, and I like kind of scrubbed through it yesterday as I was kind of working through my thoughts. Um, but I think, and we might talk about this more later, but I feel like it almost could like stand alone as its own movie without episode four coming before it, um, or star Wars at the time, um, before it was episode four, um, like it, it still just kind of drops you into the middle of this universe and like says a lot of things that you're like, Oh, I guess that's a thing in this movie. Um, but it does a good job of not like overwhelming you with that. And, um, it doesn't feel completely dependent on, um, the first movie. Um, like I said, it can, I feel like it can kind of stand on its own. And like, as far as the actual production of the movie, like the props are amazing. The costume stuff is excellent. Like, I just feel like everything, you know, it's obviously like a 1980 film, but I feel like they were operating at like the cutting edge of what they were able to do and did it well. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that I, what I like about it is that it's a story that holds just as much exposition as it does foreshadowing of what's to come it's like kind of the perfect second movie um because we finally get to see luke train you know use the force we meet another jedi uh there's a much more interesting duel at the end than the initial like obi-wan and vader duel from a new hope um there's betrayal there's bounty hunters there's billy d like (laughs) there's so much the three B's things inside of it. Yes, I know. Uh, (laughs) And honestly, like the whole movie is just a cat and mouse chase. Like from, from the first moment where Vader's trying to find them on Hoth to the very end where now Luke and Leia realize that they have to find and chase down Han where he's been taken to Jabba's palace. So it's just a constant, will they catch them? Will they catch up? Will they get away movie the entire time Mm -hmm. yeah i agree um you know obviously the special effects are the special effects and and i i watched the disney plus version so we'll talk about that later um but what struck me was how it's like it's over two hours and now um you know i'm in my 30s so i really don't have that much of an attention span every time a new scorsese comes out i'm like you've got to be kidding me Uh, (laughs) because it's too long he needs an intermission um, but it was over two hours and it, it it was amazing to me how it held my attention and it felt like it went like that. It was very oh, yeah. concise in the storytelling. And that's something I've really come to appreciate as an older fan. I was like, I, I really don't like the scenes that go on and on and on. You know, I'm thinking of like man of steel where, uh, Clark and Zod fight for like 35 minutes at the end of the movie and just destroy the city. It is so boring. But what I really appreciate about empire is that it's like the story is bang, bang. Like it's, it gets to the next thing. Everything has a purpose. Uh, the more I pay attention to it, the more I'm like, Oh, that's definitely intentional. Um, and it's just masterful storytelling, uh, a really, really excellent 
film still, even though it's been, I don't do math, 43 years, something like that. Uh, that's right. Yep. <laughs> okay good uh i was just saying i was just speaking to a high school and i was like you know when i was in school teachers said you won't have a calculator in your pocket growing up and i'm like ha yes i do uh, so I, I just realized earlier i did the math and carter hates me for this but uh the phantom menace is older now than a new hope was when the phantom menace came out it's almost the 20 20- Wait, 25th? Yeah, next year will be 25 for the venom. Oh, why? Yeah, well, I live in that world all the time because I deal with college students and they're like, I was born in 2004 and I'm 18 and I'm like, what? Wow. (laughs) Excuse me? Um, (laughs) So, you know, I feel your pain. Uh, (laughs) So... um, you know, we just talked about how it doesn't really feel like a sequel, how it, you feel like it could stand on its own. So maybe that's your answer already, but I'm going to ask you this anyway, because it's very important to me. Um, this movie was apparently not called Star Wars 2 because <laughs> movies with two being Roman numerals, uh, you can't see me, but Roman numerals were seen as inferior at the time. Do you agree with that assessment? I'm nervous, honestly, because <laughs> you said this is very important. I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I just, maybe we disagree. I don't know. I, I said that I think there, I think that there's a lot of pressure for sequels to hold up to the standard of the original. And I, Ben and I were going through a lot of examples last night when we were talking about this, and we could come up with plenty of sequels that enhance and grow the story while others seem to just rely solely on callbacks and nostalgia. So that doesn't really answer your question, but that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> no, that's yeah. good. No, I, I obviously like, I don't know what the, like I was not alive, so I don't know what the public's mindset was at the time, but like, I do think for me, whenever I hear that a sequel is coming out, even if it's not called two or whatever, just like any sequel, my immediate reaction is either like, oh, why in the world are they making a sequel for that movie? <laughs> or it's like, oh my goodness, that's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I would love to learn more about that world or whatever. Um, and so I think maybe by not calling it two, they kind of sidestepped that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were just like, oh, another Star Wars movie, cool. Um, and got excited about it. Yeah. Another Star Wars movie rather than a sequel to a new hope. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. How do you feel? I, <laughs> I, I have mixed feelings. Um, cause I, I think there are definitely some movies that don't need sequels. Um, and it's rare or it's, it's increasingly rare for sequels to be better or as good as the original. I have a handful that I will mention in a conversation of movies that are better sequels that are better than their originals. In my opinion, like Shrek two, uh, Men in Black 2 is a favorite of mine. Um, that's uh, debatable amongst colleagues, but Empire's right up there. You know, Empire is one of those in that conversation of sequels that are better than the original. And I'm stupid excited for Good Burger 2 that comes out later this month. <laughs> um, like, you have no idea. Um, I know. <laughs> but, but that's, got- that's coming out what? 
20 plus years past when the original one came out. So that also feels like it's coming out with a specific intention Mm -hmm. and they know the risks that they're taking. And so it's probably going to be excellent, honestly, knock on wood. But the ones that I feel like they're just trying to, you know, catch on to the laurels of the first one. And like, honestly, we were going through a lot of like old animated movies, like, Atlantis 2 we were like why did they make an Atlantis 2 because the animation was different the you know the voice actors were were different in some cases and um yeah we just we were like it doesn't feel like it even pays homage to the original it's such a random one for me to pick I realized but you know it's just like oh they were just trying to make more money (laughs) and that doesn't feel like it's the same as like really telling a story and I also saw the, um, we watched the trailer. I've not seen, I don't think you've seen it either, but I've not seen uh, Mean Girls 2. Oh, no. But we watched the trailer and I was like, this is literally the same movie yeah. as Mean Girls, uh, just with different actresses. Like, why? Ben just saw Mean Girls for the first time a year ago. Yeah, true story. Masterpiece. <laughs> They're doing right. a movie version of the musical uh, for Paramount Plus. It's coming out next year, I think. Oh, that's um, different. The musical was fantastic. I think. Yeah. And that I supposedly Tina Fey is going to reprise her role as the, as the teacher um, in the musical version anyway. Um, so yeah, I think it's a tough conversation sometimes about sequels because some of them are just like, well, this movie made so much money at the box office. I'm going to give you a, bun- a bunch of money to do another one. And, you know, there's a story out there about how Will Ferrell turned down $25 million to do an Elf sequel, which is probably smart. Yeah. Um, so, but you never, and and a lot of stuff happened in A New Hope because George Lucas didn't know if he was going to get a sequel. So uh, it's just an interesting conversation and one that I like to have. But I was reading, reading um, up on this before I decided to uh, write my notes. And I was like, it wasn't called Star Wars 2 for that reason interesting mm. um yeah. so it could have been called star wars 2 electric boogaloo um <laughs> i so, assumed it wasn't called star wars. oh sorry no you're fine go ahead i was saying i i assumed it wasn't called star wars 2 because of what you told me about recently ben that george lucas when he sold the rights to star wars a new hope he like wrote in the contract that he had to be he like gave away his producer's fee or something for the for episode four in order to have the rights to make a sequel on his own Mm -hmm. so five and six are independent films Mm -hmm. and so that was a that's why i assumed it didn't follow the nomenclature of of a number two but then he said he said in recent interviews like oh i always knew there were going to be prequels and it's like okay george yeah. Well, you know, uh, George clearly has in his mind what he wanted to do. We'll talk about that some more later, too. Um, but Empire Strikes Back is widely regarded as one of the best Star Wars films and maybe even as one of the best overall films of all time. Better than episode four and six, even. So what's your take on that? Um, For me... I can definitely see why you would make that statement for me, like, especially between four, five and six, like, I, I don't think I could pick a favorite. And part of that is for me, because when I was a kid watching those movies for the first time, for the most part, I never watched, like, I would never have watched 
Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi without having watched A New Hope first. Like I always watch them in order over several days or whatever. Um, so in my mind as a kid, it, it was like one complete story. Um, <clears throat> and so it's kind of difficult for me to like tease it out and compare it in that way. But um, but like having spent some time thinking about it recently, um like I asked Carter beforehand, um, because I honestly couldn't think of an answer myself. Like, what is what is a critique that you have of The Empire Strikes Back? And I mean, like you were saying, it feels like every scene is um, like necessary and sufficient. Like there's no extra stuff and there's, it doesn't feel like there's anything that's missing. You know, even though it's longer, it feels well paced. Like it just, I don't know. So from that standpoint, I mean, I think, yeah, I would agree. It's, it is a great movie um even like compared to other non-star wars movies that's the other caveat i should add is that i will watch anything that has star wars in the title yeah in a heart so it's, it, it and find a way to enjoy it yeah yeah um so anyway um so i think i think that makes sense um similar to you i can definitely see why it's a fan favorite but also a film favorite and I love the storyline more so as an adult than as a kid. I I actually, Empire Strikes Back as a kid was one of my least favorites. It was like a little too dark, a little too scary. And, you know, (laughs) now as an adult, I'm like, this is great. It's gritty. Um, There's not a happy resolution at the end, which, you know, is is really less common in film. Um, They walk away licking their wounds and suffering great losses. And I think that's one of my favorite things about Star Wars in general is that it's loyal to Lucas, to George Lucas's intention for balance. Um, Like, even though the rebellion is not nearly strong enough to overcome the empire just yet, this movie feels like the balance, the trilogy as a whole needs to keep you engaged and keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, you know, it's it's not a win at the at the end of at the end of a new hope. The 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 rebellion has a huge win, and then at the end of Empire Strikes Back, like they're suffering losses, and that's what you need to tell a really good story. And again, as a child, I was like, oh no, is is the dark side gonna win out? Like you have to watch the third one to figure out what happens. And as an adult, honestly, it, it was a real like brave thing to do to kind of like show just the constant like oh my gosh we're losing this we're losing this we're losing Han like this is this is tragic it's really tragic so yeah yeah as you were talking it made me realize like I think part of what makes it good is that from like a more global standpoint like yes the rebellion like they have to evacuate Hoth they lose that base um you know they have a lot of losses um there's setback um you know the the core group Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie um end up you know in trouble on Bespin um Lando ends up in trouble on Bespin uh so like there's definitely a lot of losses but you also have throughout the film like Luke as a character growing and learning more about who he is and where he comes from um the relationship between him and Leia growing a little bit like they you know at the end um are I don't remember if they're holding hands at the end but they're like standing next to each other looking out at the galaxy um but also they have that connection where he hears where she hears him calling out for her yeah so they so there's like 
<clears throat> this character growth and like some success in in the sense that like Luke learns about himself and faces his fears a little bit mm-hmm. um in the backdrop of like oh man is the empire gonna win so it's like this like um i don't know dissonance feels too strong of a word but um it which just makes it like connect to real life like good things happen mm-hmm. in the setting of bad things happening and so it just makes it relatable definitely yeah i love that it it doesn't necessarily have a happy ending it's it can be considered hopeful because they're not dead you know han's not dead and we all know that um so there's hope uh but it's not um tied up in a neat little bow there's still work to be done and there's still um the realistic uh powerful enemy you know i think the empire is a maybe too prescient metaphor for some of the (laughs) for some of like modern politics um but it is the perfect metaphor (laughs) it's it's like it's almost too real uh how powerful the empire is and they can just if they want to squash you like a bug they will and so i think it's a really powerful metaphor and i've i found myself you know when i rewatched it a couple days ago uh i found myself i try to get into critic mode just to like have a realistic view of what's going on and i found myself nitpicking at like larger universe things or like um you know yoda sounds a little like like grover here at the beginning um and and so like just stuff i hadn't thought about in a while but it was really more like oh i'm nitpicking at like larger universe stuff because you know we had no idea when these prequels were going to get made and you know at this time in history this is a perfect film just the way that it's assembled and the cutting edge special effects and, and the story being fearless in the sense that it's, I'm not going to end this, tie this up in a neat little bow. Like the box office wants me to, um, I'm going to make him come back and see the third one, which, you know, is a genius box office move in its own right. But, um, you know, pirates of the Caribbean dead man's chest didn't quite do it as well. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I I couldn't really come up with anything to critique about it. I was um, kind of surprised, but I was like, oh, yeah, there's like a little nitpicky thing here and a little nitpicky thing here. But it's it holds up remarkably well, and it's got to be one of the better Star Wars films. Um, I, you, I try to rank the Star Wars films sometimes, oh. and I, it's a oh. fruitless effort. Um, but you know, I think in terms of the original trilogy, it's probably my favorite now. Mm. Um, I was trying to rank them earlier. And I think in terms of the original trilogy, it's definitely in my top three. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 as much as I can narrow it down. I mean, I I can't rank them. I like all three of them for very different reasons. So sorry. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, I have positive things to say about most of them. And I think that they're all good. And I, I have, you know, some of the modern ones are better than others too. Um, but as if I'm picking one Star Wars movie that's better than the rest, I would probably pick Empire. You know, that's really? at the top that's of awesome. a lot of people's list. So awesome. just as a, as try to like take myself out of it and just critique it for what's there. And I was like, there's, there's very little to pick apart with Empire. Yeah. It's definitely up there for me as well. Rogue One is also one of my favorite all the time. That is an extremely well-made movie. 
Um, do, you, do you watch Andor? Have you watched Andor? Of course. Yeah, that's that's a Can great show. <laughs> Fantastic show. Um, that's another episode, though. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> one of the things that struck me when I was watching this was they showed Darth Vader and the Imperial March plays. And it did, it did not occur to me until this moment. So Halloween 2023 is when this occurred to me that that's when the Imperial March de- debuted. That was the original time that people heard the Imperial March. And like, I've always just known the Imperial March and that it was from Star Wars, but it registered like Darth Vader's up walking on the deck of this ship and the Imperial March is playing. And I'm like, this is the first time. Like, this is the first time that this theme is played through ever, right? Like, you hear it in quotes for the rest of the series for lots of other movies. But in 1980, the Imperial March was the first time. Didn't know that. Yeah, it was not in the first movie. I didn't know that. It was in that. Empire Strikes Back. Whoa. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah because i looked up i looked up i was like when did the, the imperial march debut and it was 1980 same as empire, empire strikes back so whoa that's pretty yep. cool i was like this is not a quote this is the original imperial march isn't it uh and yes it is so uh that said how about this soundtrack oh uh, well first of all john williams is the man so amen to that <laughs> <laughs> um honestly truly the empire i can say with certainty that the empire strikes back soundtrack is my favorite of the of the original trilogy i listen to because i'm an earth i listen to the soundtrack sometimes when i'm working and i all it's i'll listen to them on shuffle but it's always one from the, the empire strikes back that i go back to and i'm like oh which movie is that from of course it's from empire strikes back and i was listening to it earlier and something I wanted to point out was that uh, Yoda's theme, you should listen to Yoda's theme and then listen to uh, some of the like more familiar runs in E.T. the Extraterrestrial. That movie came out in 82. And there's a lot of real like really close similarities between the runs kind of like going in the opposite directions. And John Williams did that movie as well. Um, and between George and George Lucas. No, no, no. Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah. Did that one. But Light and Magic. Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, E.T. and Yoda's theme uh, have a lot of like really cool parallels in it. And I, as I was listening to Yoda's theme this morning, I was like, "What does that sound like?" And it sounds like, especially the beginning of the E.T. Mm. soundtrack. So, fun fact. Yeah, I was gonna say, I for me the soundtracks, um, they almost like as I'm watching the movie, they just kind of like become a subconscious thing for me like I don't necessarily notice it all the time um I definitely notice well I I was gonna say I definitely notice the Imperial March when Vader is there but honestly like it just kind of the music just kind of like fades into like a subconscious like feeling almost mm-hmm. um which I think as I mean as far as I'm concerned is like kind of an ideal thing for a soundtrack to do like you don't want it to jump out at you as like oh, that was jarring, or like, oh, that didn't match. Um, other which, than... <laughs> yeah, other than the very beginning. Um, which I think, to me, like, I mean, it speaks to, like, how George Lucas and John Williams worked together to make it. Like, Lucas made at least 
story like well done storyboards if not actual filmed scenes together and showed them to John Williams and said this is what I want here and you know he went back and composed it and figured out how much time it needed to be and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I think you know he does a great job of like the music perfectly matches up to what you're seeing on screen and it also like <clears throat> the songs will kind of like trail off or fade out like as scenes transition and so it just gives you this like audio cue of like okay we're in a different place now mm-hmm. um so i think I'd, other than now that you've said the imperial march was the first was first uh debuted in this movie other than that like i couldn't really tell you a single like specific song from the movie um really interesting yeah but and, and uh, that might again be because like i just kind of always watch them together but you should re-listen to the music that's happening when they're lowering han into carbonite that's one of the most like powerful swells in hmm. my opinion i'll have to go do that yeah i i found the imperial march thing interesting and then i kind of thought about it and i was like well you know there's two or three movies that were iconic to me like uh a new hope and uh, Empire Strikes Back and Phantom Menace, and all of them had at least one like iconic song. So I, I really yeah. duel, duel of the Fates really sticks in my mind from Phantom Menace, right. and of course the oh, main yeah. Star Wars theme. Everybody heard it for the first time in seventy seven's New Hope. So there, there's, and I don't can't pick one out from Jedi, but I bet there is one because I think there's probably like one key one from each movie but i just think it's cool that it does all kind of blend together and they reuse some of the themes and so like it feels natural that you hear the imperial march when darth vader enters the bridge and if you're not like trying to pick it apart for the sake of your podcast you're like this fits it's natural it feels normal to me um because that's exactly what you would want in a movie soundtrack i would think so i totally agree um so i mentioned this a little bit earlier but uh we first meet master yoda in empire strikes back and of course yoda a star wars icon in many different ways but i happened to notice or i was noticing this time because i was trying to pick it apart that he sounded a little bit more like the other frank oz character grover when we first met him um but then all of a sudden he reveals himself as master yoda and he mentions anakin skywalker and when he does that this flip this switch kind of flips he he turns into a little bit more of a distinguished figure am i crazy or did you notice that too no i completely agree and i like that's one of my favorite things about like we'll talk about it later but like the yoda sequences are some of my favorite parts of the movie um I think in large part because of that, like it's something that as a kid, I never really like, no, like consciously noticed. Um, but now when I watch it, it's very obvious that Yoda starts out um, like he starts out as just this annoying little backwater nobody who's like stealing Luke's food and flashlight and blinding himself on accident. <laughs> and you're like, who is this weird guy? Um, and, you know, Luke tries to blow him off and then as soon as um you know yoda starts talking with obi-wan's force ghost then like you said it's like a switch flips and he's like suddenly this wise 
you know, master that even Kenobi reveres a lot. Um, and I think it's interesting too, like Kenobi sending Luke to Yoda um, and just like that kind of dynamic sets up Yoda as like, oh, I guess he's more powerful than Kenobi was even, um, or at least, you know, wiser or whatever on some level. Um, and that I think kind of parallels the fact that we see the emperor for the first time in this movie. Mm. Um, I think it's just via hologram, but yeah. Um, but that also is a big, like in the first movie, you're like, Oh my God, uh, Darth Vader, this big scary bad guy. And then suddenly in this movie, it's like, Oh man, there's someone worse than him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this like parallel escalation of like, Oh, there's a more powerful person. Balance. Um, yeah. Balance. So I think, um, so yeah, there is that switch in Yoda. Um, and I think it like, I think it works to sell his character a little bit better. Um, and it also just creates like some depth for him. Cause you're like, Oh, why did he not just say, hi, I'm master Yoda. I'm here to train you. Um, so it makes you wonder like, Oh, what's this guy been up to? And I don't know. It just creates depth and, and more interesting character. I remember watching it as a kid and thinking as soon as Luke saw him, oh, that's Master Yoda. And then the whole time Luke is interacting with him, I was like, he's being so cruel to who has to clearly be the only living being on this godforsaken planet. It's clearly Master Yoda. It didn't seem like it was that hard. Uh, And so when that flip switches, um, if I can curse, <laughs> prepared to bleed. Go ahead. I feel like that's the point where Yoda is sick of Luke's shit. <laughs> like, he's just like, I have given you an opportunity to show like some compassion, some patience, some like baseline Jedi feelings <laughs> that I feel like you should be able to tap into. And it's just, honestly, it just shows how untrained Luke is at that point and how like he hasn't opened himself up to the force. He doesn't even really know how to open himself up to the force. He's kind of just been lucky or Ben has been able to push through um, at certain points of his life. And so I think that flip switch is kind of like, Obi-Wan, what do you expect me to do with this kid? And as, as a child, I was like, yeah, I don't blame you. (laughs) He's kind of obtuse. Well, and we get like, they allude to it in this movie. And then in the prequels, we find find out obviously a lot more, but mm-hmm. um, there's also the parallel of Luke showing up as an adult. Yes. Um, starting his training super late um, in the setting of already having this like longing for a family and not knowing who he is and all this angst and everything. Adventure. Um, and Yoda, again, knowing what we know from the prequels, Yoda doesn't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting. I haven't ever thought about it as the first when you meet Yoda and him seeming just really goofy and weird. Um, I've never thought about that as like being a test to be like, okay, Luke, like, are you a good person or are you going to cause me problems? I like that. Yeah, I think I think part of me thinks it was a test and part of me was like, I wondered if, um, you know, they never really sensed that nobody ever went after Yoda. Uh, on Dagobah uh, and he's been in hiding all this time so I wondered if he kind of cut himself off from the force and was um, and just kind of went nuts 
But then, you know, the mention of Anakin Skywalker, like he just like triggers him back to reality. Like he it clicks and he's like, oh, um, now I know where I am and I know who this is and I understand what's at stake here. Um, so I thought it, it could be one of either one of those two things. I'm not sure that it matters just because I think either one is compelling. Um, yeah. but you know, there's, um, I think he maybe cut himself off so that he couldn't be found. And, uh, it took Luke kind of, you know, Anakin Skywalker. Oh yeah. That guy, um, <laughs> to get him to be serious again. Um, because he was just a silly old man who'd gone nuts talking to nobody for 30 years or so, um, <laughs> longer. Sometimes. Have you watched the Clone Wars? Yeah. All the Clone Wars? Then to nerd out for a second, I know that when he goes, like Yoda goes to Dagobah before for the test from the wills, they, they describe Dagobah or uh Qui-Gon Jinn describes Dagobah as like a place where like pure force can be like experienced drawing out from the planet and so similar to what you said but just slightly different it also probably was one of the best places for Yoda to go and hide because his like force signature was probably clouded by the like raw force that was there within the planet itself yeah, that was part of why he went there to avoid being detected by the emperor. Mm-hmm. And also to learn the like process that Qui-Gon learned of being able to become a force ghost mm-hmm. and then later taught Obi-Wan and Yoda. Yeah. Yes, I love the Clone Wars. Um it gives such a good context just to the I think the especially the uh Anakin turning to the dark side is 10 times as devastating after you've seen the Clone Wars. Um, it's just, oh, it gets me right here every time. Well, oh. I think that, like, that, it's hard for me to tease out, like, what is coming from the, um, what's coming directly from the original trilogy versus just how good they did at building everything else around it. Mm-hmm. But, like, but especially A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back do such a good job. Like in A New Hope, um, uh, Obi-Wan just mentioned like, oh yeah, I fought in the Clone Wars. And they're just like, <laughs> okay, cool, new scene. Um, and then you get the prequels and the the, the, the series. And um, so I think that's another strength of the film is that they do um, a lot of this like just mentioning stuff that's happened in the past without explaining it. And you don't necessarily feel like you're missing out. You're just like interested and you want to hear more. And then they're like, oh, here's all of this to go spend your money on. And <laughs> the sacred texts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, again, I think that's a strength of the film is just that foundation that it gave. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we're talking about um different parts of the film and and mentions of Anakin Skywalker. And one thing I noticed on this watch through is that the emperor refers to the son of Anakin Skywalker and he's definitely talking about a different person. And so, you know, um we've all seen all of this I'm sure, but in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, um Darth Vader says, you know, I killed Anakin, I'm what's left, right? And so, but it's, I just thought it was weird 
that Palpatine would say the son of Anakin Skywalker. I don't know if he was like, if he thought somebody might be listening and was like, I don't want them to know that it, that Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader are one and the same because it's definitely something I've picked up on in the star Wars stuff that's come out since is it like people did not know that people did not understand that Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker were the same person. Palpatine was one of very few people who knew that. And so I wondered if he was speaking in code, but of all the people to say the son of Anakin Skywalker, I just thought it was weird that Palpatine would say that. So you think he's speaking in code or is he just acknowledging that Darth Vader insists that Anakin is dead? Yeah, I've always taken it as, um, well, (laughs) when I, when I originally saw the movie, I probably didn't even notice, honestly, um, just because I was a kid and I was like, oh, cool, laser swords. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> same. And <laughs> in, in because of that, I was telling Carter recently, I think when I watched The Phantom Menace, oh my God. I had no clue who Anakin was. I was just like, oh, new character. Cool. This is awesome. <laughs> like, or Sheev Palpatine. Or Sheev Palpatine. Um, <laughs> Bless his heart. Yeah. And so I was just a pure little fresh person watching the phantom menace wow what a great story um i obviously later found out yeah, but this is pod racing yeah. um <laughs> so i don't think i really know it's like it's again it's like a subtle reference that you don't necessarily pick up if you're just watching the movie for the first time um and um but i think knowing what i know now i think that <laughs> palpatine probably was telling it was saying it to um just to like if anything reinforce that idea invader that like he was anakin's son he's not your son you need to keep your head on straight and not get sucked into your emotions yeah i think that's a good point you know he's he was he may have just been implying you're about to meet your son but you're not anakin skywalker anymore um and so just the the uh acknowledgement that there might be some some conflict in his feelings that he, you know, the same conflict he was feeling 40 years ago when he turned to the dark side. Right. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I appreciate that perspective. Thank you. Carter, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both because Anakin has always been the biggest threat to the emperor. Like that is why the emperor seduces Anakin to the dark side because he is seen by so many people as the potential chosen one. Um, and so when the emperor names his him as Vader, that is the moment that I think Anakin himself sees the loss of Anakin and the embrace of the dark side um, and his new persona in general. And so I think in part... It is Sidious acknowledging that only Vader is present in that moment, but also appealing to the part of him that knows if Luke is his son, he likely holds strength and power that could rival them. And Ben and I have not finished the book yet, but we started reading Lords of the Sith and, um, there are already allusions very early on in the book of how the like constant desire to overthrow your master as a Sith. And we see so many examples of that in the prequels and in the 
and in the uh, Clone Wars and also in the the sequels to the original where, you know, uh, Dooku is trying to overthrow the Emperor. He starts training Asajj. He later starts training Savage Opress. Uh, he, um, you know, Maul and Savage are constantly trying to find a way to overthrow the Emperor. Maul even freaking holds his hand out to to Ahsoka and says, join me. <laughs> we can take them together. There is this desire within the Sith to never be like the apprentice, but to be the master. And so I think it's also the 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 rule of two. The rule of two. I think it's the emperor saying, like, you're about to meet someone, and I know that you think you're hot stuff. <laughs> so that means that this 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 son of yours could also be really powerful. And I think the emperor because how does Vader respond? But immediately he says, we need to destroy the son of of Anakin Skywalker. And Vader says, if he could be turned, he could be a powerful ally. They both know that that can't happen. I think that they both in that moment know that there is no Luke, Vader, and Emperor. There's not the rule of three. And so that is Vader really putting his neck out as like, or, or. (laughs) And the Emperor's like, Oh yeah, you think that could happen? Okay, go ahead, try. <laughs> like, you know, I just, I think that it's the emperor being very intentional in his words to, to again only recognize Vader in that moment and also say, "I see what you think you could do. Go mm-hmm. ahead and try. See what happens." Yeah, uh, f around and find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, my I think my grandma listens to this, so I try to keep it like PG thirteen ish. Sorry, grandma. It's okay. No, it's no problem at all. Um, ben and I only started cursing it, honestly in the last <laughs> three years, I think. And it was so. it was a little off putting to get that question from you before we started. Like, <laughs> I was like, is she thinking about it? Like, what? She used to hit me for for saying. I know. I texted Nick before and I said, so what's the rule on cussing? Like, keep it to a minimum. It's not like we're shooting off cussing all the time, but I still like all of the listeners. So, sorry, Grandma. You know, it's okay. I, I, We have tens of listeners and I'm pretty sure my grandma's among them. Um, <laughs> Thanks for listening, so, Grandma. <laughs> so, um, next question I had written down was about retconning because I watched this movie on Disney Plus. Um, it looks very good in in my on my seventy inch four K TV, um, but I couldn't help but notice some of the changes that have been made um, in the later years that George Lucas kind of tinkered with. So, um, for one thing, Ian McDiarmid doesn't actually make his Star Wars debut officially until the Return of the Jedi. He plays the Emperor for the first time in Return of the Jedi. So they went back and added him in in the Empire Strikes Back. And when Boba Fett spoke, I was like, huh, that's interesting. He's Australian too. And then I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) It was actually Tamara Morrison. uh, And they had just gone back and inserted his voice over the lines. So what are your thoughts on George Lucas's tinkering with the trilogy? I have a short answer. You can go first. Um, I saw a meme a couple years back saying maybe Vader kept hiring Boba Fett because Boba's voice reminded him of Rex. (laughs) And my heart broke. (laughs) Um, 
And so personally, I don't mind the overdub because that's all I could think about when I heard it. Um, and honestly, I also don't mind the incorporation of Ian McDermott since he does end up playing the Emperor in six. Uh, that's my short answer. I don't mind. Yeah, I I have mixed feelings, I think. Like my my immediate answer is like, I don't mind. It's fine. But at the same time, like number one, I it kind of bums me out that like the original actors are taken out of it. Sure. Um and number two and and number two just from like a purist standpoint like i want to be able to watch it as it originally came out um but i mean i don't to my knowledge that does not exist on disney plus at least um right not yet i could see them adding it back in have to go find a vhs or a laser disc or something you can find it on youtube Um, (laughs) (laughs) i literally watched the scene of the emperor the original on youtube earlier today um but i'll but also, like from a more maybe like technical standpoint, I I like it because um, I think I said this earlier, but like as the movies came out, um, at least the episodes one through six, maybe less so the sequels, but um, as they came out, they were constantly pushing the boundary of special effects and what they were able to do, and part of that is like. George Lucas starting Industrial Light and Magic alongside it and that growing and doing other movies like E.T. and, you know, all of the other movies that they've done. Um, But um, so I think all of the movies were made um, with them, like, knowing the boundary of what was possible and and going up to but not crossing that because mm. i feel like that's all, that's where the a lot of movies like pitfalls happen is when they try to do something that the technology just isn't there yet mm. um and so from that standpoint i think i can appreciate george lucas saying like what i really wanted was to have this happen and now he can go back and do that um so i don't know those are my mixed thoughts about it the last thing i was going to say too is it does i don't mind it like as an initial thing, but it does, especially when we heard Tamara Morrison's voice that immediately took me out of the movie. And I was like, that probably wasn't the original voice there. Um, the original voice actor I thought was a New Zealander. Um, and when they hired Tamara Morrison, I believe that like his voice does sound similar to the original, but I could be completely wrong on that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure either. There was an accent in the original. No, it says he was born in New York. (laughs) Yeah, and he may have done like an affected voice, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and he he was under a helmet. He wasn't the one under the helmet, but there's a different guy under the helmet. That gets confusing, too, because you got James Earl Jones and you got David Prowse. And, yes. you know, you know, other people can put on the suit, but James Earl Jones does the voice still. And it's just a weird, um, you know, uh, there's a whole conversation I want to have about eventually about the Obi-Wan series and putting Hayden Christensen in the suit. Cause I thought that was a great choice. Um, yeah. <laughs> but even with the Mandalorian, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. he's very rarely on set anymore. Right. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, two guys who wear the suit are series regulars now because they have so much screen time. And you're like, who are those guys? Oh, they wear the Mandalorian suit. Um, (laughs) So it's it's an interesting uh, dynamic that they have with, you know, you can overdub to Aaron Morrison's voice and, you know, new fans will never know the difference because they know him as Boba Fett, period. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I personally, um, I used to kind of, it used to kind of bother me, especially, you know, there's, there's the Han shot first purists out there from the first movie. Um, and there's a, it's really noticeable, even in like the Blu-ray release from several years ago that Hayden Christensen, um, is at the end of Return of the Jedi instead of Sebastian Shaw. Right. Um, and so I think some of the stuff like, like Ahsoka did a lot to massage that for me, frankly, because you don't just see Hayden Christensen's face at the end of Jedi and that's it. You get a better sense of how he got there. Um, so I, I, I think there's really two schools of thought. There's the, um, breaking bad approach, which is what we wrote before is law. And we cannot adjust it. We cannot change it. We have to write around it. And so like Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, they are very meticulous about like, well, we said this and it's turned into like entire episodes later in Breaking Bad or in Better Call Saul about just like throwaway lines that somebody said, because it was like, nope, we wrote this. It is the Bible. It is law now. (laughs) And George Lucas is like, nah, I think this is better. Um, and and kind of tweaking and tinkering and so there's either a George Lucas or Vince Gilligan and I don't know that I have a problem with either one um, but having watched the original movies and then going to Disney Plus and watching Empire it can be off-putting it just kind of sometimes things feel or look out of place because you know Hayden Christensen was not old enough to be in movies in 1980 um <laughs> so it was uh just a weird it's it's a weird thing but i don't i don't mind it so much i i probably just because i love star wars but um do you have something you were gonna say you got your finger up there oh yeah that was to remind me <laughs> sorry sorry grandma <laughs> <laughs> um um oh, dang it I started, I was listening to you and then I, I lost it. Sorry. Um, I was, I was going to say one thing I appreciate that they've not done is um, the Yoda is still the like puppet in all of his scenes, like mm-hmm. especially post prequel trilogy, like they could go and CGI him. Yeah. Um, Very true. But I appreciate that they didn't. Well, and then uh, in the last Jedi that he was a, he was a puppet instead of uh uh cgi and i thought that was cool yeah because they retconned episode one phantom menace where he's cgi but the original was he he was a puppet um i remembered what i was going to say there was an interview i can't remember if it was dave filoni or george lucas where they said exactly what you said nick where they said the story of star wars is not about fact it is about myth and legend and so everything might have just a little bit of a different take on it because it is different storytellers telling this saga of the jedi of the sith of the force 
throughout the centuries. Um, and, and to that, I definitely think that George and definitely Dave Filoni lean more on the, we can do whatever we want. But I also think that they do a really good job respecting what is there and trying to create continuity that hopefully doesn't take too many people out of the moment. Hayden Christensen at the end of Return of the Jedi is definitely very shocking, (laughs) Um, uh, especially since you see the face of Vader right at the end, um, you know, out of his mask. But like you said, the Ahsoka series really, really kind of changed my perception of Anakin's force ghost being himself in the moment when he was on on the light side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And and you're right. I think that it being myth kind of helps some of those like Obi-Wan saying your father wanted to, wanted you to have this when you were older. Um, And it's like, well, you know, did, did Obi-Wan say that or did Luke hear that? Um, You know, say he could have said this was your father's. I pried it off his charred corpse. Um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> so who knows what he really said, but the legend is your father wanted you to have this. Um, Which that, is so uh, not the Jedi too. Like you typically didn't have children as Jedi too. So it's just ironic. <laughs> I pried yeah. it off. Your- <laughs> <laughs> uh no, but I, I appreciate those thoughts because I just think that's that's uh, one of those larger conversations, especially when you're looking at the original trilogy in 2023. You're like, well, George Lucas has clearly tinkered with this, you know, and so there's there's definitely the the purists out there. And I'm not going to lie. I have a VHS set over there, um, but I, I don't have a VCR. But if I <laughs> if I really wanted to see the original version, I'd go buy a VCR and watch the original version. Um, you should ask the guy who has the poster if he also has a VHS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says buy it on video. Do you have Do you have a, VAC, a VCR? Um, <laughs> so one, this is another uh, very important question, and very important is very sarcastic. Um, <gasps> so <laughs> I, I love this question. Okay, so uh, well, and maybe you won't realize it's sarcastic until I give my answers. But uh, Leia's "I love you." And to Hans, I know, is one of the most iconic, you know, like love scenes in film history. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have any other favorite scenes in anything where someone says, I love you, and the person, you know, clearly loves them, but the response is not, I love you too. It's something I want to hear yours. You want to hear mine? <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. So I, I have two that come to mind. Um in that 70s show, oh, Eric yeah. and Donna, Donna says, I love you. Eric says, I love cake. <laughs> um, and, and then in Drake and Josh, when uh, Mindy says, I love you. And Josh says, see you in chemistry and slams the door in her face. Oh, <laughs> those are good. Um, <laughs> That's great. My, my, the first one that came to mind for me was uh Boy Meets World. Um there's it's season three, episode three, um, where Corey tells Topanga that he loves her. Um, and it's right after they start dating and they're in chubbies and um he says that he loves her and she just like stares blankly at him. And then there's an awkward moment, and then he asks, uh, aren't you gonna say anything? And she said, Yeah, can we go now? 
Um, and then the whole episode, and then they like kind of break up, and then the whole episode, you know, ends with her kind of just like figuring out like what does it mean to say I love you, and then she ends up saying it back at the end. Um, um, yeah, Boy Meets World always a good one. That is a good one. Did you write any more context to yours, Nick? Yeah, so I feel like um, I took it way too seriously. No, it's okay. I mean, it's okay to take it seriously. I just was like, the only ones I can think of besides Han and Leia are hilarious. Um, <laughs> and so in that 70s show, it's it's more or less the same thing with Corey and Topanga. Is it Eric and Donna clearly love each other, and Eric just has a parent that cannot express his emotions at all. And so he is very uncomfortable with expressing his emotions. And so rather than, you know, be vulnerable in that moment, he panics and he says something else that he loves, which is cake. Uh, obviously he loves Donna. They eventually get married according to that 90s show. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, they love each other. It's just that scene. He's like, he panics and he says something else. And Drake and Josh is basically the same thing. He hears it. He's not ready to hear it. He does not. He panics and he he's like what he thinks a lot of what his brother thinks of him and his brother doesn't like his girlfriend. And so what's Drake going to say if I say I love you, too? And Drake mm-hmm. has also put it in his head that Mindy is manipulating him to try mm-hmm. to beat him at the science fair. And so she like that. She dropped the L bomb to get to throw Josh off his game. And so he panics, says, see in chemistry, slams the door in her face. Um, And so they do have some conflict over the science fair, but ultimately Josh loves her. And so he does eventually come around to saying it back to her. Um, So I think that that's, and that's really what you're seeing with Han and Leia too, is that obviously Han loves her. Um, and it's more about her admitting to it. And he was, he's known all along that she felt that way. So he just says, I know, like, thanks for admitting it. Um, and so in all three of those cases, and, and in your case too, Ben, all those characters love each other. And it's just a matter of, are they in the right place to say the right words at the right time? So it is, it's serious. It's just also like the, the, Examples I thought of are funny. Um, <laughs> so, well, what did you pick? Mine's not funny. That's okay. Mine, uh, it's from V for Vendetta. Uh, can I read it? Is that yeah, okay? of course. But it's a bit long, so. Um, <clears throat> I shall die here. Every inch of me shall perish. Every inch but one. An inch. It's small and it's fragile and it's the only thing in the world worth having. We must never lose it or give it away. We must never let them take it from us. I hope that whoever you are, you escape this place. I hope that the world turns and that the things get better. But what I hope most of all is that you understand what I mean when I tell you that even though I do not know you and even though I may not meet you, laugh with you, cry with you, or kiss you, I love you. With all my heart, I love you. Valerie. And then, uh, I almost said Padme, and then Evie. (laughs) (laughs) I I totally didn't make that connection until just now. Seriously? Oh, yeah, man. Natalie Portman. I knew that she was the same actress. Breaking hearts all over. 
but Natalie Portman's response to reading this is to kiss the paper that this letter has been written on to her. And um, I, I see this as one of my favorite times of saying I love you because um, it is the moment where I love you is a rebellion. And when I think of Star Wars, I think of the rebellion. And even though like, I mean, I think that I think that Leia is rebelling in that moment, admitting that she loves Han. He's everything that she never thought that she was going to like, you know, even Mm -hmm. before their first kiss, he's like, I only like nice men. I'm a nice man. No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She grew up as royalty. Yeah, grew up as royalty. He's a freaking nerf herder. (laughs) What are you going to (laughs) do? But but V for Vendetta is one of the most beautiful exclamations of love for me because it is also what then inspires the rebellion that uh, Evie goes on to say, like, you can't, you can no longer trap me here. I have been set free by this love that I have gotten to experience and want to share for myself. And it's, a, it's beautiful. So that's my, one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's, Han and Leia's scene is beautiful and it's iconic for that reason. So I don't, um, I, I didn't take the assignment completely seriously, but it was my assignment. Um, (laughs) so, and that's all I can think of ever when somebody's like, I love you. And Josh Peck is like, see you in chemistry slam. Um, (laughs) so, you know, maybe it's just cause I'm warped. I'm sick in the head, but. No, (laughs) I just don't, I don't really like, I don't really like romantic movies. So when you asked that question, I was like, oh God, what am I going to? And then I was like, oh, I know there's an I love you in V for Vendetta and I love it. And ironically, I came downstairs like hours later and Ben had the V for Vendetta graphic novel out on the couch. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) And he said, oh, I was doing that thing for Nick. And I thought, for some reason, I thought that Evie said, I love you to V in V for Vendetta. And I was just like, oh my God. I said, that's not what you picked, is it? And he said, no, I, I picked Boy Meets World. And I was like, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think I, that's a, it's become a common storytelling device since The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And so that said, um, another one of the iconic moments we've already talked about is the cliffhanger ending. The ponds um, frozen in carbonite, they don't resolve everything and they fly off to kind of fight another day. And so um, it's they call it a Shakespearean tragedy because of the way that it ends. And so given all of this, you think that for popular movie franchises, did Empire Strikes Back create a new standard? Because I'm thinking of like, we talked about the cliffhanger ending kind of ensuring that everybody was going to come back and see Return of the Jedi, regardless of whether they liked it or not. And I'm reminded of Pirates of the Caribbean. Because at the end of Dead Man's Chest, Barbosa's is alive. He's like, "Hey, I'm back," and you're, mm-hmm. and then the movie ends, and you're like, "What?" And mm-hmm. so, like, millions of people went to see At World's End, even though it was mediocre, because they wanted to find out what happened. Um, so, but I, I really feel like Empire kind of set that standard. But I want to know what you guys thought. Yeah, I think it, um, for me, like, when I watch the movie, I don't feel like it's a cliffhanger ending. 
like intellectually i get that and i know that it is because there's the han solo you know thread that's left hanging there's the luke vader relationship there's palpatine like there's a lot of stuff still going on the rebellion overall um but it the movie just like wraps up just enough that again it feels like its own self-contained thing and it doesn't need more um so i think like that's for me that's a pitfall with cliffhanger endings is like if you if it's such a cliffhanger that it's not satisfying then that's no bueno but you know if it's if it's just enough to like tag on the next movie then i think it's worth it um yeah yeah i I definitely think franchises could take a book out of the or take a page out of the book of george lucas and dave filoni um I think that they're not afraid of cliffhangers that give you that just right amount of feel good, but also the what's going to happen next. Um, I instantly thought during this question of Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> and I literally just stayed in the theater for like five minutes after the credits and was just trying to stop sobbing because I was like, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, I could not see a future. And so that was almost to the point where I was like, what is what is left after this? Like that felt almost like too much of a cliffhanger because I was like, I don't see a positive. I can't see a path. And with with this, it was like, okay, they're going to regroup. They're going to find a way to find Han and save Han. Hopefully, hopefully Luke is going to go back to Dagobah. You can see the path, but you still don't know yet. And you want to see it resolved. Um, but I think some franchises can definitely overdo it to their detriment. And I think maybe maybe one of the less good ways to do it is like you're saying with Barbosa, like the movie's wrapping up, like everything's closing, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's this thing, like, oh my goodness, it's a it's a big reveal kind of thing. It's like it just like takes you out of the arc and leaves you feeling like you want more mm. which is the point but um it feels but, almost emotionally manipulative yeah exactly <laughs> and that's netflix's whole business model now is uh one more episode and if their if their episodes are not hooky enough at the end then people won't go on to the next one and that's what gets your show canceled on netflix because people won't finish huh said confession we've never had netflix <laughs> we've never watched a netflix uh, original <laughs> so well you're like you may not be missing stressful. much um because it's it's i mean and, and it, some of them are good like i like them but it's hard to stop watching them because sure. at the end it's like wait what and you got to keep mm-hmm. going and so like that's that's a whole their business model is predicated on people watching one more episode, you know, moving on to the next one as soon as possible. Um, And, you know, I think there's sometimes it's like star Wars where, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. And you know, there's a pathway forward and you just want to see it play out. And sometimes it's like, wait, what? Uh, All the Avengers are dead. What? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you haven't seen it by now, I don't care. Um, So I have a bad (laughs) feeling about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I I do think it kind of set a precedent going forward and that just some people execute it better than others. Um, And that's, that's 
we've just come up with a bunch of examples that are less well executed than Star Wars. But I think Star Wars is really, you know, groundbreaking in that way. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So getting close to the end here. What is your favorite scene, line, or moment from The Empire Strikes Back? I think I, so I looked up like, uh, you know, famous quotes from the movie and it's just like pages and pages. It's like every scene, there's some quote that comes from it um, that's iconic. But um, I think for me, like my my favorite scenes are with um, Luke and Yoda and especially recently um the one that's been like popping up that i have enjoyed is when um yoda is telling luke uh or luke is trying to lift his x-wing out of the bog and luke says he can't it's too big and yoda says size matters not um and kind of goes on a little spiel but he says uh luminous beings we are not this crude matter um and just that that one line um it's just like again it's like you get this crazy little weird hermit dude stealing food from luke that turns into this wise dude spitting philosophical (laughs) truths out um and it's just a cool line and it's been um picked up in some of the star wars books and things as kind of like a jedi mantra thing that they repeat and stuff um so it's just i like that line and just all the yoda scenes just all the Yoda scenes. Yeah, just Yoda being Yoda. I told Ben beforehand. I said, "Oh, I know what your favorite scene in Empire Strikes Back is," and he said, "What?" And I said, "Rocking, rocking and rolling <laughs> down in the streets." <laughs> Seagulls pecking my head. Not fun. <laughs> that is the best thing ever. <laughs> Okay, I'm done. <laughs> uh, I have a favorite line and I have a favorite scene. Um, my favorite line is when Obi Wan, when Luke is flying off in his X-wing, and Obi Wan says, "That boy is our last hope." And then Yoda says, "No, there is another." And oof, I just got chills saying thinking of it because it, similar to what we were talking about in the last question, that in and of itself is a cliffhanger. There's still like. 30 plus minutes of the movie left and you're like there there is another there is another what there's another jedi there's another skywalker there's another there's another hope like what is happening over here you know i mean it's just i remember as a kid when i watched that i was just like hold the phone what does that mean and then in return of the jedi when you find out that leia is luke's sister oh, the that i just remember little little carter being like it was powerful um and then immediately like wait didn't they kiss oh yeah 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 i didn't know star wars was in alabama Uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh dang um my favorite scene is right at the end when uh Leia and Lando are trying to figure out what's wrong with the hyperdrive and Luke is like talking to father talking talking to Vader and saying father and then he suddenly like turns away from Vader and starts calling out for Ben and says Ben why why didn't you tell me and then R2 fixes the hyperdrive 
and they get away right before uh, Vader's ship is about to pull them in. And this entire movie, we have seen Vader's rage and anger and lack of mercy. We have seen him force choke multiple people. There are just admirals dropping. <laughs> like, Admiral Pitt, now you were in control. And he's like, someone's like literally dying in the background. But in this moment, which is also just a beautiful shot of like Vader's black helmet reflecting the the stars. He doesn't he doesn't go Kylo Ren on his people and just destroy everything. He just lowers his head, turns around and walks out and everyone is just holding their breath ready for the fire to rain and it is just a heartbreaking moment. And that's one of my favorite favorite scenes because you can tell there is something deeper there than just power and just the desire to win and destroy it is pain yeah that's great um i think those are great scenes i uh i I mean it's hard to pick a bad one um (laughs) from this movie because we talked about it earlier it's really it's hard to find things wrong with it um, so we actually, we were talking about the scene earlier where, um, Vader and Palpatine were talking and, you know, Vader says, you know, we could turn him, you know, he has to be destroyed. Well, we could turn him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I just like knowing everything that I know now, I saw Anakin there for a second. Like, yeah. you know, it was, it Vader is, I talk about this in, I give this, uh, speech at um in classes all the time when i'm talking about professional communication and i do this picture of darth vader with several different faces and it has like different emotions listed but he's got the same face (laughs) and i'm like that's what's so scary about darth vader is that he makes the same face and you don't know if he's upset or not um and so like i'm talking about nonverbal communication and that's what Mm -hmm. i that's kind of how i start that discussion um but in that moment you felt Anakin come back. He was like, wait, no. Um, and you could tell what Vader was feeling, even though that's very rare, unless he's force choking somebody or, you know, mowing down uh rebels with his lightsaber. Like, <laughs> you know, it's very rare that you can tell how Vader's feeling. But in that yeah. second, you could tell how he was feeling. And I really I'd never paid attention to that much. But for that second, I was like, whoa, like you can really feel it. And giving the context from, you know, everything from uh, Clone Wars to the Obi-Wan series, you know, kind of helps with that, I think. Just gives you, gives it a little more depth. But that one really stuck out to me this time. But I could have a different answer next week because they're all great. (laughs) All right. Um, so any final thoughts, anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? I don't feel like I have like additional, like, um, you know, analysis per se, but, um, I think after thinking about it as much as I have, I definitely appreciate it more now from a, from a critical standpoint and like trying to sit here and think of critiques and coming up short. Um, which, you know, again, maybe just my Star Wars fanboy over generosity, <laughs> but um, I don't think it is. Um, but uh, 
yeah, I definitely appreciate it more now. And like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's all I have. I think similar to what you said, Nick, that everything that you've learned from Clone Wars um, and the prequels enriching your experience of watching the movie now, uh, <clears throat> kind of similar to your question about retconning. Like, I think that's the point. I think that is, I don't think there's a wrong way to enjoy these movies. I also uh, uh, project emotions and feelings onto this movie, even though they're not explicit. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to imagine what R2 is saying to Yoda uh, <laughs> when they first meet on Dagobah, because Luke can't understand R2 just yet. He still relies on the translator. And so I'm just imagining R2 being like, what do you mean? What what are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? Oh my gosh, he's gone crazy. You know, because we know through <laughs> the prequels that R2 and Yoda go way back. But in that moment, George may have not known that or expected that type of interaction, but I can project that on there and enjoy the movie in my own way. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, the one one uh edit that carter and i very much look forward to is hopefully one day they will release a version of the movies where the where r2 and bb8 and all the droids that don't actually speak have subtitles I want it. <laughs> that's one of awesome. the grandma probably won't see because you know <laughs> that r2 cusses like a sailor you know <laughs> yes yeah i'm sure he does you know and our uh 3po is like i won't repeat that um yes <laughs> like don't use that language with me <laughs> i'm sorry what did you say uh, so uh yeah no i i appreciate the discussion i i, I like what ben said because i think do, doing criticism as long as i've been doing it now which almost 10 years i've been just like reviewing things and and considered myself a critic uh quote unquote it's it's kind of enhanced that for me and it's helped me come up with lots of different examples that I can use to teach and um, just to enrich my experience. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I used Darth Vader as an example in class, but I've also used Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I've used Ted Lasso. I've used tons of stuff that's just like there are such great teachers in film and media about the human condition, about society, about you know, powerful empires destroying the little guy. Um, so I think it's, this is a really great example, but there's lots out there. And I think that doing this kind of stuff really helps people become more empathetic um, and just appreciate, you know, movies that they've seen a hundred times a little bit more. So that's kind of why I started doing this. But if you're interested in watching Empire Strikes Back, you can find it on Disney Plus uh, or on holidays. You can find it on formerly Spike TV, now Paramount Network. Usually does holiday marathons of the Star Wars movies. So, but since this podcast was created in the name of giving people recommendations, what's something that you want to recommend to our listeners that you've been consuming or recently consumed? Uh, for me, the most topical thing is if anyone has not seen the Clone Wars or Rebels series or Mando or Boba Fett or Cassian or Kenobi or Ahsoka, like all of the Star Wars things, they're all fantastic. Um, 
and I cannot recommend them highly enough. Um, I know a lot of people get hung up on, especially Clone Wars and Rebels, thinking they're like childlike, uh, you know, made for children kind of things. They will Um, wreck you. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And definitely some of the earlier Clone Wars things are, I think, more geared towards kids. But but especially like later on in the series, it's honestly some of the best Star Wars storytelling out there. Um, And then also Star Wars related, uh, the new series, The Acolyte, is coming out next year sometime. I don't think there's an official release date yet, um, but it's still scheduled for 2024. Um, and it's going to be set in the High Republic era, about 200 years before The Phantom Menace. And um, Disney and Marvel have been publishing a lot of printed material set in the High Republic over the last, uh, starting in 2021, so the last three years. Um, and we've been reading the High Republic books, um, and I've been uh, in the in the comics, um, which are all fantastic. Um, again, just great Star Wars storytelling and... Um, they will also wreck you. Yeah, they're it is they're fantastic. Yeah, um, I uh, I watched the Clone Wars um, in when the pandemic hit. I was pretty learned pretty quickly that I had to watch something on TV that my kids could walk in on um, <laughs> because I was I was watching Seinfeld and I was like, you know, not so much. Um, <laughs> so I started watching the Clone Wars for that reason, and so I got through all of Clone Wars and all of Rebels. Um, you know, early in 2020, and it's changed my Star Wars experience for the better. So I did just want to echo that. But go ahead, Carter. And then your and then your kids walked in on you while you were watching the Order 66 episode, falling <laughs> your eyes out. Yeah, yeah. That I wasn't ready for how adult it was, but um, it was and, better. And Tales of the Jedi and Bad Batch. I don't yeah. know if you mentioned those two yeah. as well, but oh yeah, Bad Batch is great. Yeah. Um, for me, um, I. Well, you know, Star Wars is all about the rebellion and all about standing up against, uh, you know, powerful entities and too powerful. And we're seeing in today's time, I don't know when this podcast will come out, but we're seeing just a lot of uh, terror and sadness, especially in um, Israel-Palestine right now. And so I read these two books prior to what's happened just in this past month, it's now November. Um, But one of them is called We Are Not Here to Be Bystanders, a memoir of love and resistance by Linda Sarsour. And the other one is I Am Not Your Enemy, Stories to Transform a Divided World by Michael McRae. And Michael went to college with Nick and I, uh, and both of them are just powerful storytelling that provide what you said, Nick, just a deeper understanding of the situation and opportunity to come to the table and develop empathy about a very like heart heartbreaking topic that we are seeing happening right now in the world. So I would recommend those two books. Um, in terms of media, I would recommend checking out Game Changer if you are unfamiliar with them. Uh, they are on Dropout TV and they have a lot of really great improvisational comedy as well as uh, D&D related uh, content. And they were originally known as uh, uh, college humor. And now they have completely become independent. They are not, you know, owned by a larger corporation. And so if you're looking for an independent streaming uh, opportunity, I would recommend uh, Dropout TV. Awesome. 
Thanks for sharing that. Uh, ben did go to college with us too. So uh, he, he, Michael McRae was oh, Ben's yeah. college. He said that we went to college with me and you. Uh, but that's uh, we yeah, all three went to college together. Um, so I was just, just, <laughs> just to be clear, uh, we all went to college together. Um, so for me, um, I've got lots of things that I could recommend, obviously. Um, and if you want more, you can follow me on TikTok, which I'll get to in a minute. But, um, I was going to talk about this. I was recently selected to direct a musical next summer. Um, I will be directing damn Yankees in my hometown of Columbus, Indiana. And so I'm really excited about that, but what inspired me to pursue it? Um, was I have a lifelong love of baseball for one, but I also started watching this show on FX called Welcome to Wrexham. And it's about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, uh, purchased a soccer team in the UK, in Wales, and they are in the process of turning it around. You know, what they want to get promoted and compete and uh, really put Wrexham on the map. And so they've made a documentary series about it and it follows them and their journey kind of as they've their trials and tribulations as they start to try to turn this team around. And what I like about it, what ins- that's one of the reasons I was inspired to pursue Damn Yankees is because I saw the connection between um, fans and their team. And I think that the connection to Ryan and Rob really draws the connection to everyone else, right? I think sports fans are, are a unique breed of people, but the connection to a larger part of society, you know, rooting for underdogs and connection, wanting to see people from your town succeed or latching on to a sports team because, other things in your life aren't going so well. And there's so much there. Um, and and um, there's an episode of Welcome to Wrexham about these uh, men that could never really express their emotions and things weren't really going well in their lives, but they could express their emotions through sports. You know, they poured themselves emotionally into sports. And so I think there's a lot of parallels in Damn Yankees about people who are not emotionally healthy and not able to express themselves in the right way. And so, you know, like they, he would, you know, this character would give up his life to go and save his baseball team. And the Wrexham fans struck a similar chord with me. And so I, I'm not really a docu-series guy, but welcome to Wrexham is entertaining as all get out. I've never cared about a soccer team so much in my life. Uh, I like watching the docuseries better than watching a soccer game because I don't have to watch the whole thing. I can just watch the highlights. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, still, you know, I've I've never cared about soccer more than I do now. And I just think there's so much to say about our society as a whole. And it inspired me to pursue directing a musical, which is uh, I'm it's a huge undertaking and I've never done it at that level. So I'm excited about it, but um, that's what I recommend for this episode is FX's Welcome to Wrexham, next day on Hulu. You're going to do great. It's going to be amazing. I hope so. I'm I'm getting excited. I have some cool ideas, so uh, yeah. I'm hopeful that we're, that we're on the right track. I love Damn Yankees. I've been in Damn Yankees. If you ever want to talk about it, just let me know. Okay. I 
love it. Yeah. I, I've, um, we've never done it. We, we've got, our company has a 53 year history and we've never done that show. So, wow. um, I mean, it's, a, it's also like a fossey, like, it's, yeah. Well, and that's it's, my wife is choreographing because <laughs> she couldn't resist a fossey. Um, Amazing. <laughs> You're going to kill it, Kaylin. So, um, yeah, should be a good time. We're going to have, we're going to have some fun, but yeah. So do you guys want to plug anything or, uh, you're not like super, you know, <laughs> streaming on Twitch or anything like that, but, um, <laughs> no, we don't, we don't have a YouTube channel to ask that you like and subscribe. No, <laughs> that bell for notifications. We are, we are content consumers first and foremost. Yeah. Um, always up to talk about Star Wars with anyone, though, if anyone wants to find us. Um, yeah, but you have to find us. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to make you. <laughs> okay. No, I, if, yeah, you can contact me and I'll put you in touch if they really want to talk Star oh, Wars fine. with you. Uh, yeah, you have to. We will only talk to you if you like and subscribe to Nick's podcast and follow <laughs> him on Twitter. There you and go. Follow him on YouTube. Uh, then that's the gateway to talk to you. <laughs> To nerd out about Star Wars. Appreciate it. I know Ben's more of a lurker, but he's out there um, on yeah. social media. So, uh, <laughs> um, said, before we started, I said, "How are we going to tell people follow us?" I don't really care about that. And he said, "I'm more of a lurker." And I said, "Don't describe yourself as a lurker. That's weird." <laughs> and he said, "That's the nomenclature." And so you just described him as a lurker. And I'm like, "Oh shoot!" Apparently, that is the nomenclature. So there you go. Yeah. Well, I never thought of it as a negative thing. I always like, it's a little bit comforting to know, like I'll post like stupid things and Ben will interact with them, but I'll know that he's watching. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> he usually sends them, usually sends them to me too. So you also get that yeah. send. That yeah. As well. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so for, for my part, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter. I'm never going to call it X at Nick's playlist. You can like us on Facebook, Nick's Infinite Playlist. We do have a Patreon now. Uh, I don't have any subscribers there yet, but uh, the perks are kind of silly. So feel free to look us up. Patreon.com slash Nick's Infinite Playlist. Um, and Nick's Infinite Playlist.com is where I've set up my blog. I haven't posted the last few podcast episodes in there. But when it comes time to do like my top 20 TV shows and top 10 movies of the year, that's where they'll go. So, uh, but for me personally, on Twitter, you Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok, I have the same handle, and that is N-I-C-K-Y-A-H-O-G-A-N, Nikki A. Hogan. Um, so please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, uh, tell your friends, and on behalf of all of us, do or do not, there is no try.